0: There's that lovely Wilka line about the the greatest the greatest expression of love between two people is the protection of each other's solitude. In a way, part of the challenge of of going back to work is both sort of rediscovering that rediscovering the kind of sociability that that we have missed when our commutes consisted from moving from one side of the couch to the other side of the couch. But I think also sort of probably reconstructing some of the or constructing social rules within workspaces or offices that maybe are a little bit different than they were before, that pay a little more respect to the need and the value of being of kind of alone together, that turn turn the office from a kind of, you know, constantly ringing, pinging, updating carnival of notifications that leave us constantly semi-distracted and replace it with something that permits for a higher degree of productivity, but also a greater degree of purpose.
2: You're listening to the Alonement Podcast, hosted by me, Francesca Spector, author of Alonement, How to Be Alone, and Absolutely Own It. Each week I interview an inspiring new guest, about the time they spend alone and why it matters to them. Ultimately, at the heart of every episode is one central question. What turns solitude into a positive, fulfilling experience? Because when alone time isn't lonely, it's alonement. Alex Soo Kim Pang is a Silicon Valley consultant and a futurist who has spent the last two decades researching the nature of people, work and technology. He's the author of multiple books, including Rest, Why You Get More When You Work Less. After 18 months, where we've inadvertently ended up experimenting with many different modes of working from home, remotely, plus, in many cases, huge overall changes in our lifestyles, his work has taken on a whole new resonance. In this conversation, we talk about getting the right balance between socialising and being alone, and how that relates to Alex's work on resting and unwinding. We also discuss whether the terms introvert and extrovert are useful or not, and the importance of finding a sense of meaning in our work, and how that can actually stave off a sense of loneliness. So I was totally geeking out after this podcast. Alex is both a fascinating academic mind and a brilliant communicator who just makes you want to sit and take notes on his every word. I hope you find him as thoroughly interesting as I did and that maybe this episode even inspires you to make a positive change in your approach towards work, rest and alone time.
0: you know we often talk about and are dissatisfied with the term work life balance almost as if i mean that's in the because that communicates a sense first of all of course that these are sort of uh, that these are are more separate realms than you know than we often experience but also there is a sense that balance is a kind of static thing as opposed to a dy- you know as opposed to a dynamic one um in iceland they take they talk about harmony as opposed to work life balance which i think is you know which is I think a nicer term because, you know, harmonies can take lots of different forms and, you know, it's a, it is, you know, it is a set of voices or notes that combine together to create something pleasing, but it doesn't, uh, but it does not imply that, um, you know, that one, that they have to be you know, sort of perfectly balanced or that one of them has to be, you know, sort of always at the same volume as, you know, sort of as another. So, um, but it is, you know, it is, you know, but figuring this kind of stuff out is something that um, I think we all, you know, we all do continually and, and, you know, and how it looks changes for us over time. So, you know, but, you know, sort of given, given who I talk to and the kind of stuff that I'm working on um, the sort of schedule that I have right now is the one that works reasonably well for me.
2: I think that's great. I love that concept of harmony as opposed to balance because it it is a subtle difference, but I think, you know, balance, I imagine a sort of seesaw and, you know, that things have to be in the exactly the same amounts. Whereas yes, that idea of harmony of, you know, voices coming together. And sometimes, uh, and I, you know, I know this as well with, um, with alonement when I talk about it in terms of moderation sometimes five minutes of that five minutes of that alone activity which has a lot of crossover and Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about that later on but has a lot of crossover with the idea of resting for a lot of people that can be enough in a day sometimes as long as it's seen as a value and done intentionally
0: yeah. No, I think, you know, um, that kind of break, that sort of time to oneself at the right time, it you know, can be sort of can be invaluable. You know, one of the things that I have seen in my work looking at kind of the daily lives of really creative people, you know, is that they often will have these kind of layers of periods of really intensive focused work or their, you know, or time where they are working really intensively with other people alternating with periods where they are either resting or they're on their own and i think that that you know that, that being able being able to uh, sort of to alternate that sort of during one's day or you know sort of week or life is really important for sort of creating a sense of sort of wholeness in one's life being able to take advantage of the things that you can do with other people and the things that you can do by yourself, um, and you know, also sort of recovering, recovering or recharging the kind of mental, you know, the mental uh, sort of energy that you spend in the company of others or doing things for others. So I think that you know, being able to, you know, being able to work that in turns out to be a really valuable discipline.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad. I'm glad that. Uh, I'm glad that you think that that is an important part of that harmony that you talk about. Um, I'm interested. So when when we talk about things like rest, I and I you know I'm very crudely defining introversion versus extroversion at the moment. But the way that I understand it, and I know that a lot lots of other people have come to understand this, is that you do recharge as a as an extrovert through seeing other people whereas as an introvert you recharge through time alone and even though you might enjoy both things the sense of recharging and the sense of I suppose getting that rest and re-energizing is very specific for both types so I suppose my question is how do you think you know in, in the way that you see it rest comes into time alone and also what standpoint do you come at, come at it from are you would you say you're an introverted person or you're an extroverted person or do you think indeed those definitions are helpful
0: right um so one boss described to me as a sort of an extroverted introvert though you know i think sort of the reality was i just didn't like them very much um, <laughs> so that's 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 why that's why i came across that way um i think that the you know broadly speaking, those ter- it, you know, it's not unuseful, um, to, you know, to, uh, to apply those kinds of categories so long as you don't treat them as, you know, really hard and fast and rather as kind of points along points along a scale. So, I mean, I do think that the, you know, that, um, what I, my sense of this is that there are kind of two axes for sort of in which sort of rest and psychological type sort of, uh, sort of uh, interact. One of them has to do with you know, you know are you set more on the introverted or the extroverted side? Or in particular, you know, are there? You know, uh, does that mean that restorative activ- your most restorative activities will tend more to be a little more solitary versus ones that are sort of more social? Okay. So there's kind of that in the absence of anything else. And then there's the question of kind of what work do you do and what, you know, kind of what batteries do you need to have recharged? And so if you are, you know, I think that, um, you know, for me, given that a good bit of the work that I do is, you know, writing and thinking, and it's stuff that happens by myself, even if, even if I am maybe a little bit more of a, on the introvert scale, more of the social stuff that I do tends to be with other creatures, um, either with kids or my spouse or, um, with my dogs, one of whom is just off camera or snoring away. And I hope you can't, uh, hope you can't hear them. Or if you do, you know, this (laughs) is, this is 2021. And this is what, this is what working life is like now. So, you know, I think that the, you know, it would be, if you were if you were kind of constructing a scale it would be like you know you need a certain number of points to you know that, that sort of you know good rest will consist of something different from your normal work probably um you know plus or minus a couple extra points depending upon whether you are you are an, it, you are kind of naturally more introverted or extroverted and whether the work you're doing is more introverted or extroverted so if you're an extrovert doing extroverted stuff um, you know, may you know the sort uh, of the the you know the 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 final the final number will be different than if you're an uh, the, if you are a naturally extroverted person who's mainly working on your own. So um, that's how I think that all plays out.
2: Yeah. So it's like a sort of the axes either way, and you kind of put yourself on that scale. Yeah. I found that exactly. so interesting.
0: So, but you know, I think that there uh, that. It is, you know, these kinds of things I think are useful as kind of starting, kind of starting points for figuring out what works for you. But I think that the, you know, it is, it is important when we are figuring out work patterns or routines or ways of layering work and rest of figuring out what balance of time we need with other people and what, and what time we need by ourselves to see things like I am an introvert or I'm an extrovert as starting points rather than, you know, kind of endpoints, by which I mean, they're useful for, you know, uh, your initial thinking about or your initial exploration of how to, you know, how to craft that, uh, craft those balances, but they're not hard and fast rules that you should keep to partly because, life is complex and and sort of people are complex as well. And so, and um, it's, you know, sometimes the case that we actually are a little less, you know, that we are maybe not as introverted or not as something else as we think as, you know, as we uh, sort of, as we thought we were. And so we need, and so um, I think that, you know, that, experience as opposed to psychological types is the more useful guide and so you know sort of begin by begin by thinking about whether sort of whether sort of whether some kind of break some kind of uh, sort of some kind of rest time is going to be best for you but you know pay attention to whether that actually works and if it doesn't try something else and you know But eventually, you will hit the, you know, you will both hit a combination that works for you now, and you'll also get better at figuring out how to adjust that over time, right? As, you know, sort of uh, as you, you know, you add members to the family, as kids grow up, as you change jobs, as the kinds of, as the demands of your work change. So, too, do your needs for rest your needs for time with other people or time to yourself that balance also changes as well and if you practice figuring out how to rest well you get you know you get better at figuring out how to make those adjustments as your life unfolds and evolves so um you know and it's not always going to conform to You know, whatever, you know, to sort of the results of, you know, a, you know, a 10 question psychology quiz that you took on, you know, you took on social media. So,
1: (laughs) yeah.
2: Well, um, yeah, I think that we do like to, there's something about quizzes, I think, personality type quizzes that we really like. I mean, you know, I even think about my own. Limited experience, but I think you know I grew up on reading sort of you know teenage magazines with quizzes about you know what type of I don't know what type of data are you, and then I think I did Myers Briggs um, when I when I was about eighteen, and then that told me that I was a specific personality type that was an extrovert, and that limited me as I got older because it meant that I never explored alone time. Ironically, given that, you know, when I turned 27, that became some, that became a sort of personal journey that turned ultimately into my career, exploring that. But it, it, it's so, I think I really get what you say about labels being restrictive, especially when we can't say that we're going to put a label on ourselves and not change because life changes around us. So we can't really expect one thing to be stagnant while the other isn't.
0: Exactly. I suppose.
2: Yes. I am interested, though, just to throw you a curveball. We would, I know that we discussed in the pre interview about something called the rest test. Mm -hmm. And that, just for the benefit of those listening, you're all very familiar with this, I know, is research that was launched in collaboration with Radio 4 about four years ago. I think it was in, right. actually it was 2016. And it came, it came out, they were looking at rest. It was a very large scale study across a number of different countries. But they identified the activities that were most restful for people. And interestingly, a lot of the, you know, the, the top five, I think all of the top five, in fact, were ones that were typically done alone. So that was reading, being in nature, listening to music, um, and quite literally being alone in and of itself was counted as an activity. So, how does that factor into what we've just spoken about? About rest, sometimes, or you know, leisure time, being away from work, sometimes being with other people. If actually it's proven by, well, at least suggested by that study, that alone time is that commonality.
0: Mm-hmm. So, I think that the you know one of the one of the features of Rest that we tend to underestimate is that um, uh, it has an important mental component or important cognitive component, and it's also sort of you know and that and that for many of us the most restorative forms of rest are ones in which our minds don't really have to do or, uh, don't have to do very much consciously. So you know this is uh, so one of the uh, and so you know when you look at. Um, the choices that knowledge workers make or sort of creatives make about or of uh, about rest in their rest in their everyday lives um, you see them doing things like you know a couple hours really heads down focused on the manuscript the composition this you know something something on a screen and then sort of as sort of as a break um, you know going out and going for a walk or working in the garden for half an hour or sort of generally doing something that is fairly physical, that doesn't require a huge amount of conscious attention. And this is valuable for, uh, sort of for two reasons. Number one, that you know, uh, sort of concentration and focus itself requires a lot more energy a lot more calories than we you know than we than we often often assume right you know what can be more sloth slothful than just you know staring at a screen but you know in reality our brains are really greedy and when we you know when we ask them to concentrate it takes a pretty fair amount of energy to do that and so, you know, recovery. And so, recovery time allows us to sort of to kind of rebuild, uh, sort of rebuild those those energy stocks. The second reason this is valuable is that when you, you know, when you work hard on something and kind of get really into flow, really immersed in it, and then you take a break, your mind, even while it is moved on to something, even while it has moved on to something else, your attention is directed elsewhere or is directed nowhere at all. When you're kind of mind wandering, as you might when you take a familiar path sort of out on a walk, part of your brain is still turning over issues, problems, un, you know, sort of unanswered questions that, uh, that you have in your work, and as often as not, coming up with answers. And this is, and so this is why, this is why people talk about you know getting stuck on a problem and then going for a walk and, you know, staring off in the middle distance and then the answer suddenly comes to them, you know, sort of you have that moment of insight or that aha moment. And what's going on is that you know is this sort of is this phenomenon of sort of uh, of your creative mind continuing to work on a problem even while your conscious attention is relaxed or directed elsewhere. The thing is, it's really difficult for that to happen in the company in, you know, in highly social situations, right? We are, you know, as, as human beings, as social animals, um, put us in a social situation and we are, you know, we're really good at doing stuff like reading body language, at listening to tone of voice, at paying attention, even if we're not conscious of it, of, you know, or sort of who is interacting with whom, who's, and, or, and you know, and and reading those sorts of, those sorts of social signals, cues, communications. That takes a lot of energy and it's, you know, and, and a lot of bandwidth. And it's challenging to do that, you know, to sort of... Uh, it's, all, it can be challenging for that to be, um, or to be sort of physically and cognitively restorative in the way that time by your sort of time really by yourself can be. And so I think that that's, you know, that's part of what, um, the rest study is observing and why it is that, you know, that, uh, that people, you know, that people who are, Answering a survey online, and therefore are probably part of you know sort of part of a world in which they are constantly interacting with other human beings, whether it is on Zoom calls or in 2016 in the form of emails and Slack and chat and other things. Um, you know, these are probably people who have an awful lot of social interaction going on constantly. And so for them, the, of their, the, the best kinds of rest, the most restorative kinds, are going to tend to be ones in which they are taking time just for themselves, in which they are able to be sort of usefully, sort of, you know, usefully and restoratively alone.
2: Yeah, interesting. So spoken like a true academic there, Alex, in questioning the sample size as well.
0: Yeah, well... <laughs> or at least you know, sort of the the sampling the sampling conditions. So, sampling
2: conditions. That's the right. one. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really true. I think it's um, you know, they say um, I don't know exactly what it is, but you know, something like eighty percent or ninety percent of what someone says is from their body language, not just from what they say. And you know, given that we are sort of maybe focusing on all those subconscious cues, uh, you know, you can only imagine that it's exhausting for your subconscious being Mm -hmm. tuned into that. So that would make sense in terms of why that, you know, part of why that might be um, as well as obviously, you know, the the answers that people give and the people that will respond to this kind of survey. Um, I want to move on a bit because obviously, you know, you talk a lot about not just rest, but also how that interacts with, Work. What I'm interested about as well, with work from home culture being obviously much more of a thing over the last 18 months and, you know, having that huge shift, what would be the right balance within that work itself of getting alone time and getting social time? Because obviously, for, you know, for a lot of people, we've probably had a bit more of it than we would have wanted.
0: Good. Yeah, I think this is, you know, the, this is, as we say in the States, the $64,000 question. Um, sort of as we kind of rebuild work life post pandemic, what do we want that to look like? I think it's pretty self evident for most of us that going back to the way things were at the end of 2019, um, is suboptimal. It might have been, it might be great for, you know, for most CEOs and some of our bosses, but for, but for a lot of other people, there were, it was, it was more problematic than um, we were willing to acknowledge. And I think that we found that. We have found both challenges and benefits in the kinds of flexibility, remote work, working on our own that we've experienced in the last year and a half. The question is, which parts of that do we want to keep, and which parts uh, sort of do we want to uh, sort of, uh, you know, do we want to uh, sort, of, uh, sort of, set aside? Um, I think that the you know, there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. What what I'm seeing from you know, sort of from surveys, both of employee, uh, both of workers talking about their preferences for things like you know for things like flexible work or hybrid work, and from companies that seem to be thinking seriously about this, is that um, sort of many many of them are coming down on the uh, coming down around you know having having people back in the office, let's say a couple days, you know, two or three days a week. And this is for me, not a terribly surprising number, partly, uh, you know, uh, partly because there is Brendan Burchell's research in Cambridge around sort of the, you know, how much work do we need in order to be happy? um, Which for, which, for that study, was partly how much time do we need to be, you know, working around other people or doing things for other people in order for us to be, you know, sort of to be happy? That came down to around eight hours a day, or sort of eight hours a week. So, if you work one day a week, um, you get a certain amount of happiness. If you work. Let's say twenty-four or forty or sixty hours a week. You're not necessarily twice or four times or five times as happy as, or as you were, sort of after after the, those eight hours. So, you know what it tells us is that there is a kind of minimum amount of contact that, uh, of, that many of us like to have when we are working with other people. Um, Add to that the fact that the, you know, that there is a certain amount, you know, that there are things that we can do when we are sort of, when we are in the company of others that are simply either logistically easier or that tap into you know, collective knowledge, our ability to, you know, to sort of to read the room, that facilitate sort of collaboration sometimes around um sort of, around difficult pro- you know, projects that are either technically difficult or have a lot of moving parts or which are, you know, which touch on sort of on sometimes um, emotionally difficult or fraught areas where that are much easier to negotiate when you're in a room and you can see people and read body language and do, you know, and, and sort of, and take advantage of sort of, of all of those, all of those channels. So I think that the, that, I think for all of us, I think that the, you know, as individuals and companies, the challenge is going to be figuring out what work we, first of all, what work we actually can do best in isolation or on our own versus what work genuinely requires or is supercharged by the presence of others, number one. And then number two, as individuals, you know, sort of Sort of how much, how much time to ourselves versus you know versus time in proximity to other people. Not even necessarily interacting with them, but simply being in the same room with them is sort of uh, will give you know will give us best results personally. Um, you know there's uh, there are there absolutely is some kinds of work where if you are you know if you're able to kind of essentially you know sort of lock your you know kind of lock yourself in a barrel and you know no distractions you know no nothing you're able to do most effectively but there's also a whole bunch of work that you know that uh, that is more like studying for finals in a library right you're doing it by yourself but it is it but you know your ability to do it well is enhanced by being around other people who are likewise focused on on their Work, And so I think that figuring out for each of us, figuring out that balance, and then for companies, figuring out how to best, how to create offices that best support work that can only be done in particular places by teams of people who are actually physically together is sort of the, sort of is the other, the other the other challenge that yields the pe- the final the final piece of the puzzle about how we ought to work in the future and how we ought to best balance sort of the need for solitary time for solitary work for sort of focused but focused but collective work and then finally um sort of collaborative work between pe- between people all gathered in one place so i hope that i hope that kind of answers Provide some kind of answer to a question.
2: I think it provides some sort of questions to a question. Okay. I well, think that's, that's a, I think that's okay. yeah. Exactly the right the right questions we should be asking, and I think that that you know there's so much to think about there. But of course, you know one of the one really interesting thing is you touched upon how aloneness is. It's not just so objective. Actually, sometimes being alone, surrounded by people who are silent or even alone in a library surrounded by strangers that can actually be an effective means to help us feel I suppose connected or to make us feel motivated or whatever it is whatever effect it has on our work I'm sure many people listening to this can relate to that feeling of alone togetherness that actually feels quite positive Mm -hmm. and also from you used, earlier you used the word happiness, and it's interesting that you know happiness does come into this because if we, if we were being super utilitarian about this, we'd say, "Oh, well, it's work." You know how work? What does work have to do with happiness? But I think we're in this lovely, hope you know, hopefully coming to the towards the end of the pandemic um stage where we're thinking, you know, we've been a lot more honest with each other. There, you know, there, there's that. There's been that sense of almost everyone's lives being in complete upheaval, everyone having to be more honest about, for instance, what work gave them beyond just the vacation that many of us have been able to do successfully from home. It's also that well-being benefit. Um, And, you know, I wonder where, where do you think the relationship is again between sort of working from home and a lack of social connectedness or indeed loneliness like a like a, a negative form of aloneness
0: right okay so um, i think the example of you know, of aloneness in the in the physical company of others or sort of, uh, illustrates that being alone is not just, you know, it's not just a physical state, right? It's not just about sort of being, about being removed from other human beings in a cabin in the woods or something. Um, There is an important kind of social dimension to it. And, and there is also sometimes um, a, you know, a kind of collective or cooperative dimension to it as well. So when you are, you know, Let's say in you know sort of uh, you know you're in a movie theater for example there is a co- you know there is there is a social contract around what you're around everybody not talking so that everybody can enjoy the sort of you know can enjoy the experience on the big screen you are in one sense you are able in a sense to preserve some degree of aloneness of sort of individual engagement with this experience, because all of you agree that this is how it's going to work. know, similar kind of thing where you are silent in a library. Um, this is, you know, this is a social agreement that serves to support, you know, the, to support everybody's you know, sort of uh, everybody's ability to focus on their own thing. There's that lovely Wilka line about um, the sort of the, about the the greatest the greatest expression of love between two people is the protection of each other's solitude, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, isn't no? It's it's really it's it is it is counterintuitive, but you think about it for a minute, and it's wow, that makes an awful lot of sense. And so you know, I think that the you know that uh, that part and in a way, the challenge part of the challenge of you know, of going back to work is both sort of rediscovering that degree of uh, you know, rediscovering the kind of sociability that we you know that uh, that we have missed when our commutes consisted from moving from one side of the couch to the other side of the couch. Um, but I think also sort of probably reconstructing some of the or uh, constructing social rules within workspaces or offices that maybe are a little bit different than they were before that pay a little more respect to the need and the value of being al- of kind of alone together and that turn you know that turn the office from a kind of you know constantly ringing pinging updating carnival of notifications that leave us you know constantly semi distracted and replace it with something that is uh, that permits for a greater degree of focus and perhaps also a greater degree, higher degree of productivity, but also a greater degree of purpose. I don't know if you're, or if your listeners are familiar with Paul Dolan's work, he has a lovely book called <laughs> Happiness by Design. And he talks about happiness as consisting of both pleasure and purpose there that uh, that when you take a kind of long look at lives that um happiness can come from having gone on vacation you know or of the three weeks in majorca or, or hawaii or whatever um which we all look forward to getting back to but happiness also consists in being able to do things that are purposeful you know Sort of that uh, and it's not always the case that things that make us happy have both in equal measure right there are some things that can be very challenging um, but which have a lot of uh, but which satisfy our need for purpose and therefore sort of make our sort of uh, and uh, and thus make our lives better and i think one of the things that we that we need to see more of in work in the future is attention to that need for purpose, um, to the need to have work that is uh, from which we can construct a sense of meaning. And I think that, and this is, you know, this is not, not just something that we can achieve at a kind of, you know, sort of, this is not just you know some kind of grand exercise that involves let's say turning a company you know turning a company green or or of you know changing its investment portfolio purpose is purpose and meaning are things that we can sort of design through lots of everyday practices um you know uh, through for you know one small one small example is having lots of small daily wins um being especially in professions in businesses where we work on where perhaps we make a contribution to some very large uh, very large enterprise, or we work on things that have very long deadlines. It's often difficult kind of at the at the end of the day to keep track of how much we got done and so you know giving having things like if you're a writer word counts that give you you know that uh, that let you at the end of the day see how much stuff you've gotten done this is actually pretty significant for. Helping us be happier at work, helping us stay on track, and helping us actually, you know, finish finish the stuff that uh, that we want to do, which contributes greatly to our sense of purpose. Um, and I think that one that one component of that is figuring out um, figuring out how to support how to support modes or times when we are. When we are with other people, but also sort of, of when we are working on our own, or you know, or when we are resting from that. And so, um, but you know, but understand. But if we can do that, we can make work more purposeful, make it more meaningful, and therefore, you know, sort of uh, allow us all to have healthier and happier lives.
2: And also, also, uh, no, I mean, I think it's, I think it's fascinating. And I think it's that, you know, that idea of purpose, I think that, you know, I, I suppose for most of my life, and I think that, you know, most of us, we we do associate curing loneliness with other people and sort Mm -hmm. of, you know, in, in quite straightforwardly connecting, talking to actively interacting with those people. And so I think the fact that having purpose in our work can be such a great, I don't know, not cure for loneliness, but can actually be a coping mechanism is very interesting. But what about, you know, what about the actual sense of community that we get from work and you know the actual interactions, the the going for lunch with people, the the mm-hmm. happy hours. Do, should should we be expecting our work to give us that?
0: Given how much time we spend at work and how many of our, how many of our friends um, are workmates, the the answer, the answer is almost inevitably yes. Um, And this is, it's also the case that um, companies where people regularly eat lunch together or group, you know, or sort of coworkers, coworkers who regularly take breaks together, tend to be happier and better performing than those that do not. There's a lovely study of, um, of firehouses fire in, you know, fire engine companies in the United States that, and there's a, in the U S there's a tradition of, you know, of when you're a firefighter, you're usually on, on call for, let's say 24 hours a day. And that's your, you know, your, uh, and you, and so you live at the firehouse during the period with sort of during your shift. One of the things that traditionally firehouses will do is they will cook together. And there's a whole, there were, there are cookbooks of, you know, that, uh, that, uh, that firemen write and sort of, it's a, it's a whole like subculture within, you know, within American cuisine. Um, and it turns out that the places where that, Uh, that do in which people cook together as opposed to, you know, everyone just kind of bringing their own food um, actually are better, better run happier firehouses than ones where people don't do this because there's a whole bunch of coordination work that you've got to do when you're planning meals and figuring out, you know, who's buying stuff and who's going to cook and constructing that rota and dividing up the responsibility is something that, Um, Is kind of nice, nice daily practice for, you know, sort of that, uh, that carries over into those times when you're fighting fires, but also eating together is quite powerful, a social thing, right? It's an opportunity to trade stories. Um, There is, you know, there is a kind of primal psychological dimension to feeding other people that um, sort of that can't be, uh, that can't be overstated. And so, you know, I think that doing that, you know, that eating in groups is something that turns out to have a lot of potency and, you know, and, um, does, does tend to make us, you know, help us be sort of better, happier people, um, you know, this is something that I see in companies that move to four day weeks quite often. You know, they will redesign the work days so that you've got these periods where everyone's a little bit antisocial, right? You can sort of focus on your work. You don't have to talk to other folks. You don't have to answer the phone, et cetera. But they balance that with, every, with bringing in lunch for everyone. And so, and the companies that don't do that, that only do the first part the focus part, but not the, you know, not the eating together part are more likely to say the four day week isn't working for us and to go back to their old ways of working. What this tells us is that, you know, while, while I, while I do not want to advocate for the idea that the workplace should be the center of our emotional lives and indeed I would argue that uh, that we live in an era in which expectations around emotional investment in work um, have really gone overboard, right? That you know we have we have sort of as what one sociologist calls greedy professions, you know, fields that require that demand not just our time but our love, and that uh, you know that uh, but which do not you know, but which do not love us back as, as Sarah Jaffe puts it. But, you know, it is, I would not argue that, that, that is a good thing. Um, however, eating lunch with your friends, eating lunch with your colleagues does turn out to be a good thing. And so I think that this is, you know, that companies, companies that did not do that beforehand, um, should start doing it now. And I think that they will, They'll see that you know that that there'll be better places and it it will be you know, another another little incentive to get people back in the office, to give them a reason to come back together and you know, probably to make, you know, to make to make the office you know, a slightly nicer place.
2: I think that's great. And I think you know, coming back to that idea of harmony, you know, it's not necessarily about. I don't know, it's getting back and sort of readdressing this balance of quite a lonely 18 months with constant time together. It's actually taking the best of both worlds and doing that in a very intentional way. Um, you know, finally, I, I want to get onto, I think we've spoken quite a bit, actually, about, you know, aloneness and how alone months, positive alone time can be very beneficial from, you know, from a working perspective, sometimes in a resting perspective, what is your alone month? I know that you live, I think, with your wife and kids and a couple of dogs. I believe mm-hmm. so it must be quite busy over at your household. Um, you know
0: the the dogs the dogs are getting on in years, so we have bursts of busyness. You know, at meal time <laughs> and when they want to go out for walks. Otherwise, they are they are they are models for how to rest well. Um, no, I think that the you know, sort of f- for me. Um, th- the kind of work that I do has sort of has one component that really requires diving deeply kind of into myself and writing is a, you know, sort of research and writing can be quite solitary activities kind of necessarily. So, but I find that that is, and, you know, I find a really good day is one that in which I'm able to balance that with either interviewing someone or, you know, or being interviewed, um, having that kind of social interaction. And then, you know, maybe doing some other kind of work-related thing or getting out into the world and having kind of much lower intensity kinds of conversations or interactions. You know, I tend not to talk a whole lot about, you know, sort of about the default mode network and uh, you know when solitude with you know the person who's making coffee um and you know that's that's totally fine but i think that you know for me a good day is one in which i'm able you know you know in which i've got focused time to write something i've got sort of time where i'm where i'm where i'm kind of interacting seriously and deeply with sort of with with someone else and then when i've got also some kind of sort of business commercial transaction-y kind of thing that is lower intensity but feels like I'm moving the bar on you know something in my life. Um, you know, something that provides some kind of small win that is, you know, that is tangible, measurable, that, you know, makes maybe the household a little better or my dogs a little happier or something. And so, you know, for me, the challenge is not so much finding time to myself, because that's kind of baked into, you know, an important part of my work. It's figuring out what, you know, figuring out that balance of sort of this kind of work, you know, of work that allows me to be sort of usefully on my own um, work that brings me in contact with sort of, uh, sort of with other people in, uh, in interesting ways. And then this other kind of sort of social interaction that is, lower key but still turns out to be pretty important for you know sort of, uh, sort of for our happiness and or sort of our sense of you know sort of being grounded in the grounded in the social world so yeah so that's how it plays out for me
2: that's so the axis we were talking about earlier so your your work and your alonement they kind of are quite aligned there is quite a lot of crossover there.
0: There is yeah, yeah.
2: which is wonderful yeah. which I think is what a lot of people possibly would be aspiring to from, you know, in a perfect world from work as well. Mm -hmm. Well, Alex, thank you so much. This has been such an interesting discussion.
0: Well, thank you very much, Francesca. It's been a real pleasure.
2: Hey, guys, I really hope you're enjoying the show. While this particular episode may have come to an end, the conversation is just beginning. Head over to alonement.com to hear more about Alonement and sign up to our free monthly newsletter. You can also follow us on Instagram at alonementofficial. Oh, and remember that sharing is caring. So if you got something from this episode, why not share with a friend who you think might benefit from listening?
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands.